As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. While making our most recent video on the economic debate behind the riots taking place in France, we were lucky enough to speak to Dr. Tomasz Mikalski, an economics professor at HEC and a Parisian resident living and working in the city as these events unfold. So Tomasz, thank you for being here with us to answer some of these uh, important questions about what's going on uh, in France and what's starting to happen all across Europe at the moment. Um, you... Um, from HEC. So not only do you have a background in these issues, but you're also there with your veritable boots on the ground uh, living amongst it. So just to give people an introduction, you know, sort of a five-minute recap of a very complicated issue, what exactly is, is going on? Thank you for having me first. So uh, uh, indeed, there has been uh, over the past couple of months an effort by the French president and government to implement uh, a pension reform that uh, would are different details. The principle two that I would stress would be that uh, they're trying to raise the retirement age from 62, which is among uh, developed countries, one of the lowest to 64 to obtain the full pension rights and also to simplify greatly the different uh, as they call it here, regimes or schemes by which people are able to obtain pensions. And uh, this has been uh, on the books for a couple of years. Uh, just before COVID, uh, reform was passed uh, by the government under President Macron, but it was suspended when the COVID pandemic started because it was unclear how the entire pandemic is going to play out. So this was uh, when uh, Macron was re-elected, it was quite natural he would try to continue with his standard reform. Now, the problem of the current government is that uh, the president and his party do not have a majority in parliament, and they had to seek uh, some kind of a coalition, or they could pass it uh, via a special procedure where you don't need, in fact, a vote in the parliament, but uh, you can pass a law. And unless the opposition mount, uh, topples the government, that becomes law. For many uh, months, uh, Macron's government and uh, the ruling party were trying to get uh, the backing of a center-right party called the Républicains, and in fact, uh, the reform uh, of the pensions, as it was adopted, is very close to the position of the Républicains for the last uh, 20 other years. And uh, for your viewers, what's important to know, Le Républicain is the party that used to be the majority right-wing party or center right-wing party from which, uh, for example, President Chirac or Sarkozy were hailing from. And they never managed to pass this reform for 20 odd years, raising the pension age was one of the standard measures they wanted to pass. 
so the entire reform was discussed uh, in a sense a little bit behind the scenes. Uh, the public, uh, there were of course some consultations with uh, labor unions. Uh, there was very bad messaging with the public. Labor unions were very much against this. And in the end, uh, what happened, uh, the reform did pass in uh, the Senate, the upper chamber of uh, the parliament, but in the lower one, they, they didn't have enough votes. Part of the Republican party backed out uh, for various petty reasons, I would say. And then uh, the government chose not to put it to vote in uh, the parliament and passed it through this special scheme in a sense, a decree that unless you vote the government out, you're going to, uh, the law becomes, uh, is considered as passed. So here's where we are. The law now uh, is uh, going to be considered next week uh, by uh, the Constitutional Court, whether it is constitutional. There are questions about this, not about the substance of the law, but exactly about the procedure by which it was passed, because that procedure is a special one that normally allows to have uh, budgets passed uh, when the government doesn't have majority in parliament. So that's uh, the legislative part of the story. And then there's the public part of the story, which uh, I guess is much more spectacular. The reform is obviously not very popular with uh, the public. Uh, we always want to have more of the welfare state without the taxes that are involved or without any counterparts uh, that are involved. So people were not very happy that their retirement age uh, is going to be raised. Initially, this reform uh, was as unpopular as the past attempts. So it wasn't much different. And indeed, the protests uh, were, I would say, matching those that uh, happened in 2019 or 2010, but were, for example, much weaker than what happened in 1995. After this law was adopted without a vote, the protests escalated to a point that in some cities, especially Paris, but also some other provincial towns, cities like Bordeaux, there were riots. The question is, of course, who was behind us? Was it really a popular movement or were those uh, anarchists that tried to uh, use this as an opportunity to wreak havoc? So what's happening now? Well, part of the political class is uh, waiting for the constitutional court to rule. Macron's government uh, and Macron himself are waiting for the protests to just uh, wind it down, whereas the labor unions that are going to meet uh, the prime minister today, are hoping that uh, they will be able by force, by protesting to uh, make the government retreat and uh, scrap uh, this law that is still possible, for example, it may not be signed into law by the government. At the end of the day, it may be suspended like what happened in 2019 or what happened in 95 where uh, reform was uh, just uh, retracted by the Juppé movement, uh, the government that was hailing from the Republican Party. So this is where we are in France. And uh, I'm pretty sure you have uh, a lot of great uh, coverage of what happens in French cities, how trash piles up, how riots happen, how manifestations happen. 
But uh, to be honest, you know, uh, except for the occasional strike at the school where half of the teachers wouldn't show up, it's not that much of a nuisance for many, many uh, French. That's an interesting perspective, but there is still, um, you know, the, the complications. And you spoke briefly about a constitutional challenge having to resort to special political measures, and of course, you know, the clear fact that this is unpopular with a you know large part of the public. Which, uh, you know, in a democracy, at the end of the day, rulers lead for the good of the people, and if the majority of the people uh, don't want something, maybe it's an indication that uh, it shouldn't be done. So I suppose the follow-up question to that is, why is it so important to, to this government and governments before to get changes like this through if it is so unpopular and if it does cost them so much politically? So uh, a couple of points to make here. Uh, definitely the perennity of the pension system in France uh, at times is in question. So France spends uh, a large fraction of uh, its GDP on pensions. The figure hovers uh, above 15% in uh, recent years, uh, which with the graying of the population is going to make matters only worse. Moreover, given the retirement age that is in effect now, the lifespan uh, in retirement for France is uh, very long. It's 20 odd years uh, once you reach uh, the retirement age. So uh, in the longer run, this is clearly unsustainable. And uh, what's also interesting, that reform itself is not popular. But uh, the view is a little bit more nuanced. Uh, Half of the people that are interviewed in different surveys, they understand there is a need to reform. The pension system. The question is how, and uh, this is exactly not uh, necessarily well addressed. And this is where there was a big failure by uh, the government now not to discuss uh, the reasons for this reform with the public. Instead, they played this uh, political game with the Republicans that didn't pay off, and uh, they're saddled with a reform which is very simple, in fact. The previous one in 2019 was much more complex, and uh, also it addressed many more issues finally, like, for example, people who are at the margin of employment and labor force participation, handicapped women that uh, bear children, uh, long-term unemployed, people who lose skills, and so on and so forth. So uh, here, I would say that the general public understands there needs to be reform, but there is a problem how to do it, and there wasn't a great discussion about uh, what to do. And the, the scheme proposed by the government is just one of many that you could envisage, right? You could think about lowering pensions. You could think about uh, increasing taxes. Uh, both of these are rather no-goes. A third option would be to perhaps uh, tax the pensioners in some particular way, because uh, In France, more than in many other OECD countries, uh, the wealth pyramid is very much tilted towards uh, the retirees on average. Those are the people who have uh, wealth accumulated throughout their lifetime. They also use a lot of the public healthcare system. And uh, there's nothing in the proposed reform that uh, makes them contribute. Now, this is obvious a little bit politically why, because uh, both 
Republicans and Macron, their voters, uh, predominantly the, the ones that propelled them into power, were exactly the retirees. So uh, uh, the view, I would say, is much more nuanced. Uh, one of the proposals of the labor unions that are adamantly against raising the uh, retirement age is, uh, in fact, to, for example, cause somehow that uh, the um, differences in pay between women and men disappear. That would mean that women would contribute more for their pensions. And part of the problem, at least in the, for the next couple of years, would be solved by those measures. Now, the question is how to do that very simply. It's, I don't think anybody came with a great solution anywhere in the world. Yeah, so there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of alternatives, but all of them have their own troubles. And I think we spoke about this in the video that uh, you know, economists can be very clever, but they can't create value where there is none. You know, more people retiring means that there has to be a sacrifice made somewhere whether that's people paying more taxes you know, while they're young and working, uh, more taxes in retirement, earning less generous retirement benefits, or retiring later. Of course, you know, we'd want to have a perfect world where we can retire whenever we want and get generous benefits and pay no tax for it, but it's just not possible. Um, and one of the challenges that I want to ask you about, uh, and you should have a pretty good view of this, obviously, you, you teach you know, students that go on to have a business career, is the issue of brain drain and the the fact that France itself is not a great place to be a young professional, uh, or at least it has that reputation where there's opportunities to earn uh, more money in in other EU countries and also pay less tax on it. And since you know those are the people that the country really needs to fund, you know the retirees, uh, and they're missing out on it. Um, do you think you know further reforms that are going to you know, uh, put the burden more so on young people are, are just non-starters because they could just choose to uh, to leave and, and start a life elsewhere? Or do you think those reports are overblown? So uh, there are many issues that you've uh, raised. First of all, let me address the one, how, uh, what is the possible outcome of uh, the struggle that we see now? A very likely one is that the reform is going to be adopted if the constitutional court uh, doesn't see any uh, issues with it, which means that would solve the pension problem for, say, 10, uh, 15 years, depending on the projections, obviously. The second issue is uh, that you raised about the perspectives of young professionals in France. The view is here, I would say, a little bit nuanced as well. It depends, for example, whether you have children or not. France is a great place, uh, if you're a young professional, to have children. So for young professionals with children, everything for uh, childcare, schooling is well, relatively well organized. In comparison to other countries, uh, Germany is trying to up the game, for example. It is true that there is a brain drain for young professionals that uh, do not have families, for example, that are more movable. And this is indeed uh, uh, a problem. Though France tries nowadays, and this is the place to go for R&D and engineers. So it's trying to carve out a couple of niches uh, where you can have uh, great uh, working conditions, even despite the fact that uh, the income taxes are relatively high. That having said, you know, if you compare 
the income taxes, for example, in France relatively to other European countries, or even some U.S. Plot, uh, with U.S. states, because the taxation changes uh, between uh, states. For example, with some states like the uh, state of New York or California, the tax burden on the young professionals is not much different from the one you would see in France. But that's a, a totally different problem. Uh, and I think the bigger problem is that uh, for various uh, reasons, the sclerotic labor market, uh, the fact that hierarchy in French firms matters still a lot, th there is uh, an ongoing brain drain despite the fact that you have uh, tax rates uh, are not necessarily the ones that matter. Simply put, salaries are low for many young professionals uh, that are not in some special sectors like finance, uh, IT, or for example, you know, being a researcher in, in a genetics, uh, biotech uh, lab, uh, you're, you're going to get much higher salaries in uh, the UK, uh, not speaking of the US where uh, you're going to be paid uh, tenfold sometimes if you're, if you're really good. That's an interesting perspective, and I'm I'm glad you spoke to specific industries and and the trade offs there because it's it's sometimes not as simple as oh well you know I can earn more there so I'm going to move you know obviously it's a bit more of an involved decision but it does seem to be one that you know these young people that the the country desperately needs to support itself are making the decision to leave more so than they are you know certainly to to you know from other countries to move into France and and start a life there uh, it is an interesting challenge now. One of the problems I had when I was um, you know, researching this video and putting it together was that the pension system is very different to, uh, to what I'm used to. Uh, I'm based in uh, Australia or you know, what you sort of hear about in uh, a lot of other countries. And part of that is, is why they're so passionate about it. It is uh, obviously a, a system that is, is quite generous to, to the recipients, but that puts a significant burden on the economy. Do you think a better long-term solution would be a more privately funded system like what we have, which is uh, something called superannuation here in Australia or you know, 401k plans in the USA, where people either voluntarily or forcefully contribute to their own retirement account uh, that they can then use as uh, sort of like a nest egg to, to live off once they're past a, a certain age. So uh, this is uh, in uh, many respects encouraged uh, but, uh, in France and it does exist. That's number one. So there's like you have the state pay as you go and then you have your own part that you can, your own nest egg that you can create. And uh, that has been uh, uh, going on and most popular, if I would say, assets uh, that people invest in is obviously real estate and uh, also there are special uh, investment products that have also some kind of a part of uh, an insurance uh, where people do invest. The problem is that uh, these are chosen by, say, 10, 15% of the best uh, earning individuals. And uh, the bottom, let's say, half, uh, they're very close to minimum wage. They have barely any savings other than forced savings by the government. So I think here's a, there, there is also a mental issue over there. There, there is a problem that people 
have uh, a natural penchant here to rely on the state for insurance. Second of all, whenever somebody comes out in France with uh, trying to suggest that we should have uh, some kind of a more Anglo-Saxon, let's put it, system, the failures, for example, that you had in uh, uh, Chile of uh, the, the reform over there uh, or in some uh, Central Eastern European countries, they are not very conducive to change. So definitely uh, the state, by various tax schemes, it encourages saving for retirement. So, for example, you, you have uh, different plans that uh, up to a certain amount of your income, you can save it for your retirement free of taxes, and you will pay the taxes only when you retire, when potentially your income would be lower and you wouldn't pay that much tax. So I would say that the, all these schemes uh, are in place, but they're not very formalized, if you will, that you have uh, a uh, 401k or that your pension scheme is uh, for everybody tied to, to a particular private scheme. There are many, many schemes that are encouraged by the government to increase saving uh, for retirement, for passing wealth to also uh, your children with the prospect that you are going to increase long-term savings. So it's not a problem with long-term savings in France in general. It's rather a problem uh, with uh, the fact that uh, many people wouldn't save anyway. Uh, and I guess this is also a problem in the US, uh, in many Anglo-Saxon countries, that uh, there is uh, this problem with, uh, even in the public private system, of people not saving for various reasons, either cognitive problems or simple thing that uh, they cannot make by till uh, the end of the month. Yeah, it, it is an interesting one, especially when you put, um, you know, the responsibility in the hands uh, of an individual. It, it is, you know, sometimes a difficult choice that people just simply can't make. If so, I may, uh, I would also say that uh, on average, the economic education of the French population, because so many decisions are deferred to the state is very low comparably to say UK, US. People just don't understand, you could say very simple A to B mechanisms. I don't think anybody under, for example, in the current, and it comes out in this current pension reform, people really do not understand the link between uh, how long you work uh, and what uh, you should get. Uh, they think that there's always some magical capital that can be taxed uh, and that the government can print money, you know, that it doesn't matter. So there, it, it's really, I would say that uh, uh, the fact that you don't have to implement these mechanisms yourself or to a large extent, vast majority of the population doesn't, is uh, quite problematic to also implement a reform. That's really interesting. That's an interesting insight that Obviously, you wouldn't get without kind of being there, but it does make sense, you know. If you've if you've never had to be responsible for it, there's no, I suppose, motivation to to go out and 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 learn about these things. And that I think leads us really nicely onto my next question, which is, you know, there, there are other countries that are in worse positions with aging populations than France is. It still has a relatively high birth rate for an advanced country. Um, you know, certainly even amongst its European peers, it's got you know a reasonable structure in place that's you know going to have funding problems but 
there are others in in more sort of severe circumstances and it does have um things that can help it out uh, like a healthy level of immigration uh whereas if we look at an example like you know south korea obviously an extreme example but one that is in a much worse shape uh the birth rate is less than half you know in 40 years time it's predicted that 50% of their population will be over the age of 65 and that's uh, obviously purely unsustainable but we're not seeing the same kind of problems we're not seeing you know rioting in the streets uh, in south korea everyone seems to be you know perfectly calm about things now is that because they're silly and you know they they're not seeing the problems coming uh, or is there a reason that we're we're seeing these these problems materialize so much in france as opposed to uh, other countries that are in a worse situation I would say that part of the reaction that you're mentioning, for example, the the fact that let's not seek, you know, a comparison with South Korea, it's also a little bit of different business model, but let's seek, you know, comparisons with Germany, Italy, or Sweden. There has been a, a change in, for example, retirement age, and the pensions were relatively restricted pension growth, exactly because of the demographic problems that you mentioned, because for example, Italians in particular are a very old uh, population where they fully understand that uh, because they also have a very long life expectancy, the more of them they are, either you have to increase the pension age uh, or restrict pensions. In France, as you pointed out, the demographics is relatively different. The population is growing and will probably still grow uh, for a number of years uh, I saw predictions that by 2050, there will be more French than Germans. So uh, they also are able to project themselves a little bit differently in uh, the future, right? Because that, uh, if you want a smooth income, what matters is what comes uh, uh, in the future. The French will have relatively a better demographic structure, a younger population than, for example, Italy that has to act now or South Korea or uh, Japan. Where you can also see this is in external accounts, Japan, South Korea, many other countries, Germany, for example, they have been saving uh, with respect to the rest of the world for the last uh, 30 years, I guess. Uh, that would be a fair thing to say, exactly because they're saving for their retirement. Uh, they're building up uh, asset positions versus younger populations, including France, because it's a relative calculus. So. Demographics does play uh, an important role in explaining these differences. Simply put, uh, for example, now, uh, if you ask uh, from an accounting point of view, is the retirement reform absolutely necessary in France to save the pension system? The answer is no. You could do this, say, in 2027, right? For the moment, it's more or less in balance. The question is that it's going to matter at the horizon of 2035. And then again, it's going to matter what are the projections of growth, right? For example, if we are able to increase productivity everywhere, then uh, uh, the pension system is going to be in better shape. And generally, technology, perhaps technology is going to save us, right? Or perhaps not. And we will have to live dramatically different uh, 10, 15 years uh, from now. So... One of the aspects uh, why you see the reform today as well is exactly because of uh, the political calendar that was uh, viewed by the Macron government as the only reform they could implement without the majority in the parliament with some other party like the Republican. 
That's why they went with this in a view that perhaps they can reform the country going forward. But it turned out it's impossible. And, uh, uh, you know, before having a crisis of uh, uh, the pension system that is going to start hurting from, say, 2027, we are experiencing a big crisis in France of parliamentarism, the parliamentary system. And we don't know what's going to happen for the next couple of years because uh, there's no good way of reforming the country forward and the country does need reforms. There's no majority in the parliament uh, for even passing a relatively simple, even if unpopular law. And then there is also no way out uh, if the parliament is disbanded. There's no guarantee there's going to be a majority. It's unclear how for the next four years the country can reform itself. So uh, uh, I know I perhaps digress, but uh, I'm just trying to lay out here the argument that uh, there is no sense of urgency for this uh, pension reform, even now among the government that uh, tried to push it forward. Everybody knew uh, the system for a couple of more years is more or less invalid. That's interesting. So it's not so much uh, economic urgency as it is political urgency. That's right. There's some uh, rope left, but it might be uh, the but, last but, politically for but a while. At the, end, at the end of the day, we will need to have uh, an increase in the retirement age, some major adjustments. It doesn't have to be now, right? Uh, that's a different story. And that's why also the rioters or labor unions that protest, they know this. This is not something that... Uh, if we don't reform today, we're staring down the abyss or we have a default or, you know, a drastic adjustment of uh, pensions now or even, you know, five years from now. That's not the case. And that's also one of the problems why the protests are so vehement, because they know it's not really a necessity. In Italy, when there was a necessity to increase the retirement age, the government passed it. There were no riots. And that's also a reason why the riots are there. That's interesting. Now that um, also leads on nicely to my final question. I know we're pressed for time, but this is a bit of a big one. When we're talking about the uh, the economic urgency of of measures like this, and you know potential consequences if we were to put it off for 10, 15, 20 years, or you know sort of never really get around to it. But right now, obviously, there's been some major shocks to the French economy, and and that's sort of been going on for more than a decade now. Uh, you know. The global financial crisis hit France particularly hard. Uh, then the Eurozone crisis, Brexit, which France was a, a major sort of casualty, even if it wasn't the central player, because it accommodated a lot of trade between the UK. Then COVID, of course, France uh, has a huge tourism sector that was that was hurt uh, a lot by that. Um, and now, just as the world is sort of, I suppose, getting back to normal, um, and the country would love to to welcome tourists and, and get industry going again, we have these, uh, these riots with cities being shut down, stores closing, um, and all of this sort of culminating right as the country has uh, you know, a debt burden approaching 100% of GDP. Do you think this could be the catalyst for another major economic crisis in France or across Europe? Or do you think it will peter out and it'll be just another French riot that we hear about in the history books? So. Um... It's an important question, first of all. Now, uh, historically speaking, perhaps that's going to surprise uh, you and your viewers. Even the most uh, 
spectacular closure of the French economy in 1995, when you had uh, three weeks of uh, a total stalemate, uh, uh, a total closure of the country was a shutdown. That cost uh, the economy 0.2% of GDP. That's not what's happening now. The effects of the strikes would be much order of magnitude, probably lower than that. Riots are peanuts, in fact. Of course, except for those who are directly affected, you know, the shopkeepers, the restaurants. And then they're really very localized. So if you go, uh, for example, to uh, a city that is a wonderful one, uh, I recommend everybody to visit Nantes. They have this one central street where all the protests, all the rioting happens. It's just as if they had a special meeting place for rioters where they regularly demolish every, say, year or two. They demolish all the cars that are parked next to the street, all the banks, uh, fancy restaurants, and so on. And then the rest of the city is untouched. So, you know, it's really, um, it looks very spectacular on TV. As I said before, the largest drag on the economy is actually the strikes in schools because that keeps uh, working parents away from work. But even then, in comparison to, say, 95, when the impact was the largest after a three-week closure of the entire country, by now you have a lot of those uh, people against which the ire of the labor unions is directed. So the uh, upper middle income, high earners, these people, they can work online. They can telework. And uh, unless you cut uh, electricity, the internet, or connections, uh, you cannot uh, disturb uh, that flow. And that's also one of the problems of the current protests, is that the labor unions clearly understand this. Before, they would block uh, the routes uh, on the peripherique, so that's the beltway around central Paris or around the, the business district called La Défense. Now, it's ineffective. So what do they do? The more radical ones from the communist labor unions, uh, they try to cut that electricity or they try to make uh, your life miserable in the center of Paris by not collecting trash. So the protests, in a sense, are getting more radical because the traditional way of protesting doesn't allow that uh, uh, to make life miserable for, uh, let's say, the... the uh, uh, decision makers or uh, the high uh, income earners. Would this uh, cause a major shock around Europe? I don't think so. I don't think you're going to even see that uh, in uh, French data and the quarterly data that much. Uh, To a a large uh, extent, this is going to be just another uh, French riot, French uh, stream of protests uh, that I guess is like uh, by now uh, considered as a tourist attraction, just like a three-star Michelin restaurant. So uh, the important thing about coming back to a big question about uh, the shocks that France is uh, facing, and I want to get back to a very important point that you've made uh, at the very beginning, is that indeed something has been broken since the great financial crisis in France. In particular, productivity didn't grow and GDP per capita didn't grow much. And the country resembles more and more, not Germany, that it would like to project itself to, but rather Italy. And uh, with the associate problems that you mentioned, brain drain, right? 
the potential hope is that uh, countries like France or Italy that are lagging behind in the IT revolution, that they're going to get their act together and they're going to adopt uh, IT technologies much better in public administration or uh, in firms, which I must say, it's not a dumb deal that this is going to raise productivity and that is going to, in fact, uh, help those countries uh, to catch up a little bit with countries like, you know, not, I'm not even trying to compare France to the US, but, you know, countries like Netherlands that, uh, or Switzerland that are not that far away and where everything seems to be done right. So uh, what is, in a sense, the French problem how to make uh, productivity rising again since uh, the supply side reforms uh, of Macron uh, that has been edging uh, up a little bit. But then, as you said, COVID broke this. But then the reforms that, uh, that Macron suggested and tried to implement uh, earlier were very mild by any sort of standards anyway. So uh, on this account, I just want to say that uh, if anything, for the next couple of years, changes to the positive is perhaps better adoption of IT automation in various sectors. If not, uh, if this doesn't help uh, for the next couple of years, we will not see reforms by the French state, no reforms on the labor market, no reforms on education, no uh, major reforms uh, that are going to help uh, long-term to solve long-term problems of uh, the French economy. That's very interesting. And I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, frustrated. You've ruined the end of my video that, oh, these, these riots are going to, to, to ruin us all. But I, no, I do appreciate the very um, well thought out uh, and balanced response. And it is interesting that, you know, these protests are probably not going to have a major impact themselves, but that's not to say that France is in the clear by any means. And it is, Great to get that perspective from someone that obviously very well versed in the economics of it all, but also lives in and amongst it every day. So thank you for your time. I really thank you very much for having insights. me. It was uh, it was fantastic. The world is constantly changing and transforming. Cut through some of the noise with What's New with Wired, a podcast that goes in-depth on the latest news in technology and culture. Their award-winning journalism will help you make sense of what's happening in the world. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts.